You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. And welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, as always, I am your host, Charles Hammaker, here with you. We're in the Black Media Matter studios. We are back. Um, Bell, unfortunately, not with me. As you can see, it's just, just my American Filipino self here on your screen, as usual. So things continue, though. Things continue on, as always. Um, Bell and Matt were at the last two Mariners games, though, so we'll get to their coverage uh, of those games when we get to the Mariners section, which is going to be up first since we don't have any Seahawks news. The Seahawks continue to approach the draft. Will they draft Jalen Carter? Will it be Will Anderson? That's to be seen. Uh, and it also depends on the first four picks in the draft. So that's still approaching. Uh, we'll have info on that as it continues to come on, along. But since there's nothing to do with our Seahawks, we're jumping straight into the Mariners news. So we will head into that, uh, starting up, wrapping off that little Midwest uh, road trip that the Mariners were on, uh, ending at Wrigley Field with the Chicago Cubs. Three games set there. The first two did not really go the Mariners' way. Uh, April 10th at the Cubs, a 2-3 to three loss. Our player of the game, pinch hitter left fielder Jared Kelnick, one hit, one run, one RBI, and a pinch hit solo homer in the top of the ninth inning. Uh, April 11th at the Cubs, a disastrous 9-14 loss. Our player of the game, first baseman Ty France, three hits, two runs, two RBIs. Now, before I continue on with that Cubs segment, uh, you can see those two scores. I mean, the first game, one run loss seems fine. That game went into extra innings. The Mariners had several opportunities to go ahead and win that game or put ahead the go-ahead runs. Were unable to do so. That 9-14 to loss on the 11th was just ugly uh after the first few innings the mariners had a seven run inning things looked glorious they had a seven to nothing lead and then they gave up an eight run inning and it was just ugly from there on out they were able to get a few more runs but just could not come back after that eight run inning that they allowed to the cubs then on the getaway game on the 12th uh Somewhat satisfying to wrap up with a win and salvage a game from that series, a 5-2 to two win. Our play of the game right fielder, Te Oscar Hernandez. Teo, two hits, one run, two RBIs, and a two-run shot. His two-run homer came before the Jared Kelnick home run that went 482 feet. That is the longest by a Mariner, Mariner in the StatCast era, and I believe the longest one at Wrigley Field. Uh, went out to dead center in Wrigley, and nobody hits out to dead, uh, dead center in Wrigley. Uh, and it was the third consecutive homer uh, well, third homer in as many days that he had hit. So a homer in each game of the series. That brings us over to the Rocky series. The team returned home to T-Mobile Park uh, April 14th versus the Rockies after the day off, uh, a 5-3 to three win. So a nice way to start the homestand, get their second win in a row. Jared Kelnick continued his hot play, two hits, two runs, two RBIs, and a two-run homer. So he made it four homers in as many games. He was hotter than the sun, some could say. Um, we had that two-on homer in that one. So that was really nice to see. Um, 
I'll try to go. I try to do this better every week with the photos that we get from these home games. So um, from that win, uh, that five to three win, we've got Teoscar Hernandez here embracing Jared Kelnick. Teoscar, I believe, had the single before Jared came up. Jared homered them uh, to bring them both across. And you can see the emotion from Teoscar captured by our photographer, Brian Saldana there. Uh, nice, nice to see the guys have fun. I know when Teoscar was brought in here in the press conference that he said, he wants to make this team like a family, and it just seems like the guy has a ton of fun around here. So we'll go back to it. April 15th versus the Rockies, a 9-2 to win. The Mariners were finally able to cash in a little bit with the bases loaded. Uh, our player of the game, center fielder Julio Rodriguez, Gerard, one hit, one run, four RBIs. Those four, well, three of those four ribbies came with a bases clearing triple. Uh, again, Nice to see the Mariners finally cash in with the bases loaded. That's been something that they haven't been able to do the last few years. So to see them be able to do that, come up with that nice seven-run differential victory against the Rockies is good to see. Then they were able to close out the sweep April 16th versus the Rockies. They won nothing win. Our player of the game, nobody else but La Piedra, Luis Casillo, seven innings pitched, two hits allowed, no runs allowed, no walks given up, and nine strikeouts. He flirted with a perfect game for a while, but that did end in the sixth inning. Still, only two hits, no runs, no walks, nine strikeouts. An excellent performance from the Mariners' ace. Uh, we'll go here on the, I said I'd be better about the photos. And then I do this April 15th. We've got this photo. It was Jackie Robinson day around MLB, our photographer. Oops. The tag is wrong on that. So I apologize. The tags on both of those are wrong. They're both Matthew Bermudez. So we'll fix that here. Jackie Robinson day, Matthew Bermudez, our photographer on site, ignore the tag in the top, right? Um, Everybody on both teams, everybody around the league wore the Dodger blue 42 on their backs and had special edition uh, hats, socks, and just general merchandise as well. And then from the 16th, again, apologies, for, forget the top right corner tag, uh, Luis Castillo in that excellent game there captured by Matthew Bermudez. If you want to read up on both of those games, you can go to our blog, uh, the Converge Media blog, and you can see both of those recaps and photos by Bel Garcia and Matthew Bermudez. Um, before I get to the general, I had to stop myself there. Before I get to the general discussion about the last two series, our player of the week, I mean, I said his name a lot. It would make sense, right? Jared Kelnick, six games played. Over those six games, nine total hits, six runs, six RBIs, three walks, four homers, six extra base hits in total, one stolen base uh, amounting to 23 total bases. So, again, you know, we, we saw a little bit of it uh, in the Cleveland series uh, and just in little bits and pieces uh, before the last two ones that we've been talking about here. Uh, it's been great, really great. And I'll put him back on the screen here to see Jared Kelnick continue to heat up. I mean, there was all this potential part of that Mets trade. And I talked about a little bit in the first uh, game of the Rockies series uh, on my recap of that. And even on our road trip recap, uh, which we are doing now. So be sure again, to keep tuned in with the blogs. Um, but just continue to see him perform. I mean, he's always had a, a solid glove. He was on the uh, Sports Center top 10 at number eight for a catch he made in right field for yesterday's game against the Rockies uh, that was able to keep things, kept things scoreless. And that's a big part of that Rockies game, as you heard, a one to nothing win. But 
continuing to see him be patient at the plate. His glove in the outfield is continues to be stellar. He started in left field a lot, but that play that he made that I just mentioned was in right field. So he can play the outfield. We've seen him play center field before. So just continuing to see him perform, you know, and, and not he's, he's having fun while doing, and that's been a lot of criticism. It's kind of always weird to me to hear people say, Oh, he should smile more. Anybody should smile more. Like that's a little odd in my opinion, but just seeing him, obviously, you know, the, the emotion, uh, the post game dance that the outfielders do in addition to the infielders, you know, it's, it's good to see Jared enjoying this and perform as well. Both of those aspects, you know, coming together. And if he's able to do that, to have an outfield of, of, out, uh, of guys that are producing with Kelnick, with Julio, with Teoscar, that's one of the better outfields in all of MLB. So that's, again, we've got 162 games in total to play, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's nice to see that, you know, at least and especially the six game stretch, the four homers in as many days that Titanic won at Wrigley. Excellent to see outside of that. Unfortunate, those first two games at Wrigley, I mean, the one to open the series to lose an in extra innings, that's tough. But again, you had opportunities to bring runners across that you squandered. The nine to 14 game was just Unreal. That was nightmarish. I mean, to have a seven-run inning, excellent, explosive, you know, to really go out there. The offense had kind of been dawdling along a little bit. And then Chris Flexen, uh, unfortunate that his start went that way, gave up eight runs in the inning after. And it's it's uh, not good. That one was tough. To see them salvage the series was encouraging, though. And now they're on this four-game stretch. We'll see how long that lasts as I knock on wood. Um, they took care of the Rockies. You know, the Rockies franchise as a whole has kind of struggled in years past. Herman Marquez went on the injured list. Um, so that uh, deals a blow to their rotation. And now they have uh, – they continue. They've got a nine-game homestand going on currently where they're going to take on a Brewers team that started off well, and they take on the Cardinals, who are no no easy feat either. So – uh, nice to see this continue along. They're in second place in the division now. I just hate seeing it after, you know, even a, a bad series where it's just doomsday. You know, you 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 wave the white flag and you're you're want to trade everybody. Overreactionary comments like that are kind of why we started everything with circling Seattle sports, just because that's ludicrous and stupid. But anyway, point being, we've got 162 games to play. Let's relax, right? They got a long way to go. They're second in the division right now, and we're only in April. So we'll get through it. Speaking of getting through it, we've got some injury-related news for you, uh, starting here with Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore, not ready to play in games yet. He did meet with the team back on the 14th before heading on uh, and is not yet headed out on a rehab assignment with the Tacoma Rainiers. Moore will likely need to play more than a handful of games. Uh, outfielders Cade Marlowe and Taylor Trammell are closer to playing in games, and starting pitcher Robbie Ray has not started throwing yet, but he feels good, quote-unquote. So... Those are some updates for you in regards to that. We're going to head over to some roster moves here. There was a lot of them as the team dealt with injuries to Ray and Munoz, uh, amongst others. On the 10th of April, the team selected right-handed pitcher Jose Rodriguez. Rodriguez, as a 27-year-old, has made two appearances and one start with the Tacoma Rainiers this past season. No, this current season, pardon me. Uh, throwing five scoreless innings. The right-hander has signed uh, w- was signed with Seattle uh, to a minor league contract and uh, an invite to spring training on November 22nd. 
the Venezuela native, originally signed with the Angels and as an international free agent on December 3rd of 2012 and has since spent time with the Angels, Braves, Mets, and Mariners organizations. Uh, the same day, the team optioned right-handed pitcher J.B. Bukowskis to AAA Tacoma, and infielder-slash-outfielder Nick Solak was designated for assignment from AAA Tacoma. On the 12th, the team selected the contract of right-handed pitcher Darren McCacken, uh, optioned right-handed pitcher Jose Rodriguez to AAA Tacoma, and designated right, uh, left-handed pitcher Brennan Bernardino uh, for ex- assignment from AAA Tacoma. On the 14th, You can see there's a lot of roster movement here. Uh, I have a friend here uh, named Manny who would be very happy to hear the Darren McCacken news. So, Manny, this is for you, buddy. April 14th, left-handed pitcher Tommy Malone was selected from AAA Tacoma. Uh, He would make the start that day as left-handed pitcher Marco Gonzalez was placed on the paternity list. He had a solid outing after allowing a solo homer to Chris Bryant in the top top of the first. Um... And then right-handed pitcher J.B. Bukowskis was designated for assignment that day. April 15th, to wrap things up, infielder Jose Caballero was selected from AAA Tacoma. He was a name that we watched throughout the course of spring training who performed pretty well uh, and I thought maybe might be able to make the starting uh, opening day roster but did not. Um, and he did make his MLB debut in the ninth inning. Um uh, and on the same day, left-handed pitcher Tommy Malone was designated for assignment. Some may ask, why was he designated for assignment the same day uh, that, well, the day after he had made a really nice start with the Mariners? That's because he's an 11-year veteran and he's out of options. So if a team picks him up, he goes there. But if he clears waivers, he'll likely return to AAA Tacoma. So i uh, wondering why, you know, there, there are a lot of things that anger me about Mariners Twitter because a lot of people don't understand how things work. Uh, but that's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. So Tommy Malone, designated for assignment, wasn't cut. He did anything bad because he's out of options. He's an 11-year veteran. He doesn't have that many anymore. So uh, we continue to move along here uh, with our upcoming. The Mariners sit at an 8-8 eight eight record, so they're at the 500 mark. They sit at second in the American League West uh, behind the Rangers. Uh, looking ahead, they close out their nine-game homestand here, starting with the Brewers tonight. April 17th versus the Brewers is a 6.40 p.m. start. April 18th versus the Brewers is also a 6.40 start. And then April 19th versus the Brewers is a 1.10 p.m. game. That's a Wednesday matinee game. Uh, and then the Mariners will get the Thursday off before they take on the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals, uh, April 21st versus the Cardinals is a Friday game at 7, 10 p.m. And it's also All-Star Hat Night giveaway. April 22nd versus the Cardinals is a 6.40 p.m. start on Saturday. And then April 23rd versus the Cardinals, a 1.10 p.m. game on Sunday uh, is Little League Day. And every kid in attendance will get a George Kirby and Logan Gilbert poster. Apologies on that. Uh, I mean, again, as I mentioned, the Brewers have done a pretty good job to start the season. The Cardinals are, I mean, they're really not that spectacular to start the year. Um, Let me double check on that. I don't want to talk bad about a team and then have them be doing well really secretly. I know the Brewers have been doing well because we had to look at them for a game day. Um, yeah, the Cardinals seven and nine. So they're, they're pretty close to where the Mariners are right now. So I wouldn't scoff at them either. Uh, we move along to our storm and we finally have storm information after going, uh, weeks and relatively months without anything to go on about with our storm. So over the past week on Monday, actually. So the day of the last recording that you saw us here, um, 
the storm had the WNB draft. They had four picks in the draft. They didn't trade any of them. They didn't move out of their spots. Um, and good to see that they didn't because at the number nine overall pick in the first round, uh, the storm were able to select guard Jordan Horston out of Tennessee. Now this was a pick that a lot of people didn't expect to happen. Uh, Horston was projected to go higher in this draft and I'm really glad that she didn't. Um, out of Tennessee had a great time at the Seattle regional, actually that bell Garcia and Matthew Bermudez were at. So it's nice to see that uh, she finished her career with 1,445 points, 731 rebounds, 455 assists, 163 steals and 109 blocks while starting 91 of 114 games that she participated in. She tallied uh, the number 29 all time point total by a lady vol and is one of the, only two players to record 1,000 points, 700 rebounds, and 400 assists during a career there at Tennessee. She stands number one amongst true guards at Tennessee with 21 career double-doubles, including eight last season. She finished number seven at Tennessee in both career ranks, uh, in both career assists and career assists average, ranking number eight in career 20-plus scoring uh, efforts with 17. She joined Don Marsh uh, as the only uh, Tennessee players to lead the program in assist average all four years of her, their careers. And she averaged 9.39 rebounds in 21-22, a mark that ranks number six all time uh, by a Lady Vol and number three by a Tennessee junior. A lot to go on there. Uh, but she's great offensively. She can play on the ball as well as off the ball. Very athletic defensively. She doesn't have quite the reach that Brianna Stewart had, but very athletic, very agile uh, defensively. And is it going to be a key there? Might take over that point guard spot, but this was a great get to see for the Storm, considering, again, that she was projected to go higher than the number overall, number nine overall spot. Uh, continuing with the draft here in the second round, the Storm had two picks starting number 18. They selected forward Maddie Williams out of Oklahoma. Williams is an all-Big 12 first-team pick, led OU with an 18-point-per-game and 7.6-rebound-per-game average. She joined the uh, former Storm player Courtney Paris as the only Sooners to lead the team in rebounds in four straight seasons. Um, number 21 overall pick out of USF, the Bulls, Dulce Fankum uh, Mendejudu. Uh, she posted averages of 16.5 points per game and a conference best 12.3 rebounds per game en route to earning the uh, American Athletic Conference Co-Player of the Year honors and really came along the last few years of her time uh, in college. So it's good to see that. Uh, I know that there's been some early criticism there about her, her size uh, and how she might look as a WNBA center. Some wanted Brie, uh, Brie Beal to be the pick here out of South Carolina. Uh, and there's been criticism also concerning the fact that the Storm have Mercedes Russell and Ezu Magbagor at the Storm spot already under contract. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I know that head coach Noel Quinn mentioned that she has already played in a pro-style offense, so they like that. And then in the third round, the Storm had the 33 overall pick, and they selected guard Jade Lovile out of Arizona. She spent time at Boise State, ASU, and Arizona in her collegiate career. She is a Sammamish native and Skyline High School graduate, averaging 9.8 points over 32 games for the Wildcats, scoring in double figures 18 times and shooting 36.1% from three-point range. So two guards there, two forwards, um, one of them being a big for the Storm this is going to be a big draft in a way to see uh, what the storm looked like moving forward. I know that I've talked about it since uh, Brianna Stewart signed with the Liberty that 
this is an interesting era that the storm are entering. You know, there's a lot of minutes that need to be decided who's going to get them. Right. Uh, I mean, Drew Lloyd, Kian nurse, uh, will obviously take up some starting time. I'm sure. Uh, Sammy Woodcomb coming off the bench. Maybe, uh, maybe she slots in the starting position probably. Um, so again, there's a lot to be decided here. Um, but it's very interesting to see. It's nice to see that Horston pick. That was obviously very exciting for the organization. Uh, but with Williams, uh, with Dulce, with Lovile, where do they fit in? Will they make the roster? And that's something that's going to take place over uh, the next few weeks and then the next month in May um, as a team goes through camp. So uh, we'll, we'll look at that more when we get a chance with Bell. Keep an eye out for that. But now we will head over here to our Sounders. And, you know, I've got all this excitement with the Storm segment, you know, with the Horston pick, with the draft as a whole. And then you head over to the Sounders. And things things were not pretty with the Sounders. So initially they were. The Sounders headed down to Portland for the first Cascadia matchup that the Sounders would play this season. Uh, they had the lead to begin things. They took the lead, well, to begin things. They had the, the first lead of the match. They took that in the 65th minute um, with a Raul Reyadia score. Uh, and then, yeah, and then things took a turn. I was actually in the Oil Rain press conference when I saw this happening. Goal after goal after goal. It became four unanswered goals in the final 30 minutes of the match. The Sounders just collapsed. Um, our player of the match, midfielder Nico Ladero. Nico, won an 8.0 match rating, five shots, 76% passing, three chances created, two tackles, one, and 14 recoveries on the day. Uh, it would have been Raul, but Raul had a 6.9 match rating. Uh, I can't give you the most in-depth description of what went on in this match because of the fact that I was in the press conference when this was taking place, uh, when that collapse took place. Um, We'll look at the injury report. Josh Atencio missed that match. He was out. Uh, Albert Rusnak was questionable. I don't believe he played in that match, though. I can check that and see if it matters. But uh, And then Christian Roldan did miss this match as he had concussion-like symptoms uh, after taking a hit in the match against St. Louis. This is ugly. I mean, again, I don't want to be dissuaded from one match. I know that there was a certain, um, a certain Sounders account that we keep tabs on that uh, – had a lot of not so kind words to mention about things. And I mean, you could do Yeah. Rusnak did not feature in this one. Um, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, those four unanswered is unfortunate, especially doing so against a club like Portland that really hasn't started the year out well, and it's a rivalry match. So you're going to hear about it. You know, we've already got sound. I mean, Timber's comments on our stuff already, um, which I'm not worried about. You know, uh, and and I wouldn't necessarily be completely panic mode like some of the outlets that I mentioned. You know, it's it's obviously a really embarrassing loss. This is really bad. Um, but you see the way that the Sounders have started out the season. You know, I wouldn't really be too worried. The only loss that they had suffered before this uh, was to FC Cincinnati, who started the year off really well and they came off the the one one goal late. And the Sounders should have had another goal. I had a goal to excuse me equalize that. Um, but was called back because of a foul in the buildup. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't really be ups, uh, upset about it. You were out rolled on. You were out Detencio. You were out Rusnak. Um, you know, Heber is continuing to build back to health and has, feature, has been in the last few matches. So I wouldn't be worried about it. It's really, it's not a nice way to start off Cascadia. Uh, not 
a loss that you ever want to take against Portland. And Seattle certainly has to match the intensity of Portland in these matches. A good stat that was pointed out was that the Sounders had blocked 13 shots uh, before the Raul Rui Diaz goal, and they only blocked one after that goal. That just can't happen. Um, so, again, it, 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 there is a lot to take from this going forward. You need to match that intensity from Portland, and you can't let this loss spill out into the other matches that you're going to play moving forward. Um, but, again, similar to the ways that you know Mariners Twitter can be, I don't want it to be like the end of the world you know, with this loss to Portland. So... We'll move on from it. Um, in team-related notes, on the 12th of April, both Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris were called into uh, the U.S. men's national team for a showdown with Mexico. The duo has been called up uh, for the inaugural All-State Continental Clasico against our tribal Mexico on Wednesday, April 19th in Glendale, Arizona. If you want to watch that match, it's at 7 p.m. Pacific time that day on TBS, Telemundo, Universal, HBO Max, and Peacock. Both players earned their first call-up since representing the men's national team at the 2022 FIFA Men's World Cup in Qatar. This showdown with Mexico marks the first edition of this Clasico, a new annual event that features the men's national team of the U.S. hosting a top-tier opponent from North, Central, or South America. Uh, Morris has 51 appearances with the U.S. and 11 goals, including two appearances during the World Cup against the Wales and the Netherlands. Uh, he leads the MLS with eight goals this season, including a club record four against Sporting Kansas City. Roldan has 32 caps for the men's national team, most recently being part of the squad at the World Cup. Uh, Roldan has started all seven of Seattle's uh, MLS regular season appearances prior to this Portland match, scoring a goal in the season opener against Colorado. So nice to see those two get called up again. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much they feature in that match on the 19th, if they do, which is in a few days. Um, but then I don't know how much that'll limit their appearance in this next match. So we'll get to that here. Uh, the Sounders sit at a five win, two loss, one draw record. Uh, they're fifth in the entirety of the MLS and third in the Western Conference in terms of points. Looking ahead, their next match is April 22nd, back at home versus Minnesota United FC uh, with a 7.30 p.m. start time. As I mentioned, you don't want to let this spill out. Minnesota sits at six in the West with 11 points. The Sounders have 16. So uh, depending on what happens with FC Dallas and San Jose, if the Sounders lose, they could drop a few spots. So prefer not to do that. Take care of business against Minnesota. Uh, if you follow the Sounders at all, you know that the Sounders have an interesting uh, little head-to-head -head with Minnesota going on the last few years uh, where Seattle's gotten the better end of things. So you'd like to see that continue here. We move on now to our Kraken, who are playoff bound. They wrapped up the regular season over the course of the past week with two games on the road and one game at home to finish things up. They play tomorrow. We'll get into this past week. Uh, April 10th versus the Coyotes on the road, a 4-1 to one win. Our player of the game for Jared McCann-Kenner, one goal, one assist, two points, uh, a one plus minus, and seven shots on the day. With uh, He hit 50. 40 goals, pardon me, not 50. That would be cool. Uh, he had 40 goals on the season. Um, that is the first time a Kraken player has ever done that. He is also the Kraken all-time leading goal scorer. Uh, 
With that victory, the Kraken became the second fastest franchise in NHL history with a 100-point campaign within their first two seasons behind the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Then we go over here, the final road game of the regular season, uh, a 4-1 loss to the Golden Knights. Our player of the game forward, Yanni Gord. Gordo, one goal, one point, one shot, four hits, one block, and one takeaway. April 13th versus the Golden Knights, Fan Appreciation Day, the final game of the regular season the final home game of the regular season uh a three to one loss unfortunately the golden knights that game score padded by the empty netter that vegas had uh this game after about the second intermission or so we found out that with the la kings win that the kraken couldn't move up any further so it didn't matter for them in terms of seating um vegas was still playing to take the top spot in the pacific division and the western conference and they were able to do so with that win our play of the game forward morgan geeky one assist one point four shots and one block um we'll go over here to we have two photos from this game against las vegas uh two photos of the match uh, we've got here this one where you can see the puck just slipping out of the reach of philip grubauer that uh, was on the second goal of the game there. Um, and then we've got a nice little fight uh, from who else but the pepper pot, Yanni Gord, uh, where you can see him connecting right there and the reaction of the referee. Take a second, admire uh, both of those by our photographer, Liv Lyons, that day um, at the April 13th game. We'll go into our player of the week here before we get into discussion of the games. Uh, player of the week for Jared McCann. Jared didn't necessarily have numbers that burst off of the page over the past three games. One goal, one assist, two points. That came in the Arizona game. But the 40-goal season and him being the all-time leading goal scorer for the team, sitting at 67, 14 more than the second-place scorer, Jordan Eberle, at 43. Uh, it, you know, him being the first ever player to sign and maybe, well, no, we'll keep that up. And so you can see it when it comes down, you can kind of see it underneath there. Um, but him being the first player to sign an extension with the Kraken ever, and obviously meant a lot to some fans, you know, uh, talking about wanting to win a Stanley cup here with the Kraken talking about how Seattle is special to him. That meant a lot. And so for him to go out and have a career year, uh, it's really special. So it's really nice to have that from Jared. The Arizona game, I mean, Seattle did what they needed to. They took care of business against a bad Coyotes team. Uh, that I, I mentioned it last week, and a, a friend of mine got a good laugh at it. They can't even tank, right? You know, they, they won too many games, so they are they have really slim chances to land the top pick for Connor Bedard. Um, the, those Las Vegas games, though, were tough. I mean, that one on the road was just relatively ugly. Uh, Seattle looked gassed. It was the second game of a back-to-back. Um, they just didn't look ready for it. Uh, that one on the 13th, though, Seattle, I mean, they had the energy all game long. Their expected goals was higher. Uh, they just weren't able to get that one in. And the first the first goal that Vegas had was one that came on a bad bounce. Vince Dunn tried to clear the puck up the ice. Riley Smith of Las Vegas had his puck, I mean, his skate in the right spot. Philip Grubauer wasn't expecting it. It slipped in. You know, that can't pin that one on anybody. Obviously, unfortunate that it came on Vincent trying to clear the puck up the ice, but it's tough. And then that second one, uh, actually, it was interesting because Daniel Sprong came back after being in the penalty box. And so it was technically five on five hockey, but because the Golden Knights were in, um, I believe they were on a delayed penalty, uh, it was technically an undermanned opportunity. 
Vegas just had too much time in the crease. They were able to move the puck around uh, without resistance and like essentially pass the puck around Philip Grubauer uh, to get that one in. That came on uh, this play where you can see him just reaching out for it. So that one, that one, you got to be better about clearing people out of the out of the out of the crease and doing it fairly. I know Vincent's talked about it in the past, where it's not just as easy as pushing people out of the way. Um, so. Yeah, just unfortunate that you weren't able to push through and get more there. Jaden Schwartz had a really nice goal for the really nice goal for the only score that Seattle got in that thir- that thirteenth loss to Las Vegas. Uh, but no, Seattle had waves and waves of pressure, um, and if they're able to generate that sort of thing in the playoffs, then they're going to be good to go. And so I mentioned that we've got our little Stanley Cup playoff, the little uh, placards that they were giving out at the game that they clinched. So. Got that there. I'm going to leave that in the studio here. Um, I, I don't take too much stock out of out of those last few games. I mean, the one against Arizona, again, you took care of business there. It was nice to see in the last few minutes, Joey Decord get to go on the ice uh, as a former Arizona State uh, Sun Devil there and be able to play in that building of Mullet Arena in essentially his home building. Right. Uh, the game to Vegas in the back to back. Again, it's the second game of a back to back. They just can clinch the playoffs. I, I wouldn't take too much stock in it. It's disappointing to lose to the Golden Knights there. Um, and if you wanted to really have that third overall spot in the division and play in Edmonton, then you would have needed to win that game or it might have depended on actually if you beat the Golden Knights. Um, and then that one on the 13th, you know, once we found out that the Kings had won, it didn't really necessarily matter that much at all, except for Vegas, who needed to win that one if they want to lock up those spots that I mentioned. So I wouldn't take too much stock in it, but it's it was good to see them have that sort of pressure generated uh, throughout the entirety of that game there. And that does uh, bring some encouragement in there. So something that doesn't. Uh, was some injury-related stuff that we've got here on the 13th. Just after that game against the Golden Knights, it was announced that forward Andre Burakovsky will miss the start of the playoffs. He had a surgical procedure to address a reoccurring lower body injury. He would. The reports that I got were that he would have been good to go this week, um, but he had a setback occur. So he had that procedure. Uh, from what I understand, he could make it. Uh, he could join the team later on in the playoffs into the playoff run, uh, but you want to get this sort of thing taken care of. I mean, he's in the first year of a five-year deal. He missed the last 32 games of the season. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, again, he's going to be a key player for you for the f- next few years to come, uh, but you don't want this injury getting messed up even worse. And then, you know, he's not a productive player for you over the course of his contract. So uh, hoping that Berkey heals up, hoping that things are better sooner rather than later for him. We've got some other team-related news as the Kraken signed a few younger players to entry-level contracts and made an interesting roster move over the past week. So we'll go over that. April 10th, uh, the team signed forward David Goyette to a contract. Uh, they signed him to a two-way, three-year deal at nine nine. Uh, 150,000 AAV. Um, 
Yes, I said that right. Okay. Goyette is expected to report to Seattle's AHL affiliate, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. He spent the entire 2022-23 season playing for the Sudbury Wolves of the OHL, which is is the Ontario Hockey League, totaling 92 points, uh, 41 goals, and 51 assists in 63 regular season games and setting OHL career highs in goals, assists, points, power play goals, shorthanded goals, and game-winning goals. He led the Wolves in goals, points, power play goals, and game-winning goals, and his 51 assists were the second-best mark on his team. His offensive output also placed him in the top 10 in the OHL in goals and game-winning goals and earned him Sudbury's nomination for the Red Tilson Trophy, which is awarded annually to the OHL's most outstanding player during the regular season. Uh, The 5'10", 172-pound forward has totaled 165 points in 129 regular season OHL games. In 2021-22, he concluded the regular season as a finalist for the Rookie of the Year Award, leading all rookies and his team in goals and points. He was the recipient of the four Wolves year and awards at the end of the 2021 regular season, including the Bud Burke Top Rookie, Bill Plant Top Scorer, Most Goals, and the Pete Shills Award for Most Assists. That same day, the team reassigned forward Shane Wright to the Firebirds, um, after his OHL team, the Windsor Fi- uh, Spitfires, I almost said Firebirds again, um, ended quickly as the team was eliminated in the first round, even though they had finished the regular season off as one of the top teams in the OHL. So Shane has played in the last few games for the Firebirds as they build up for the uh, the playoffs, and we'll have more of the AHL news here. Um, if you follow us on our YouTube uh, in the uh, Futures follow-up report. So keep an eye on that. Uh, Make sure you follow us on YouTube as well or subscribe. Same thing. Um, On April 11th, the team signed forward Logan Morrison to an entry-level contract. He signed a three-year entry-level deal as the same amount as uh, Goyette at 950,000 AAV. He split the 22-23 season between the Hamilton Bulldogs and the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, serving as Hamilton's captain before being acquired by Ottawa in a midseason trade. He totaled 94 points, 40 goals, 54 assists. Um, Okay. Uh, in 56 regular season games and all setting career highs and goals, power play goals, shorthanded goals and game winning goals. His 94 points were good for seventh in the entire OHL and led all Ottawa skaters. And it marked the second consecutive year that he recorded at least 90 points in a season. Morrison was named Ottawa's best forward at the conclusion of the regular season and is his team's nominee for the Red Tilson trophy as the OHL's most outstanding player. Just like we mentioned with Goyette, the six foot, 180 pound center has totaled 273 goals, 100, no, 273 points, 111 goals, 162 assists in 222 regular season OHL games with the Hamilton Bulldogs and Ottawa 67s. He set an OHL career high with 100 points in 21-22, becoming just the second player in Hamilton franchise history to record 100 points in a season. Um, so a nice couple forwards there to sign for the prospect pool of the Kraken. I know there's been some odd uh, criticism of the Kraken prospect pool, considering they've been around for two years and they have a good amount of talent, as we mentioned um, with our futures account. But I digress. On the 14th, the team reassigned goaltender Joey Decord to the OHL Coachella Valley Firebirds as he had been up in a emergency capacity and it's expected that Martin Jones' health is back enough where they don't need to have Decord up here in that emergency capacity. So next up, 
the NHL playoffs. If you aren't aware, the NHL playoffs are universally regarded as the most exciting time in all of American sports. So again, we're going to keep this up here. They start today at 4 p.m. Um, thankfully, the Kraken don't play today or else it would be a really big day. Um, they play tomorrow, which makes it also a really big day. But we'll we'll look here. Yeah, so four, they start at 4 p.m. today with the Islanders and the Hurricanes. That's in the Eastern Conference, so we don't need to worry about them um, yet. Uh, the Kraken ended the regular season with a 46 win, 28 loss, eight overtime loss record, standing at fourth in the Pacific Division at 100 points. So next up, we found out that their opponent is the Colorado Avalanche, the former team of Philip Grubauer and Andre Burakovsky. Um, it's going to be, this, I mean, this is the first ever playoff series in Kraken history, and they do so against the defending champs. The defending champs will be without top player Gabriel Landeskog, who has missed the entire season. Uh, he's not going to be able to make it for the playoffs here. So round one versus the Avalanche. The first two games are going to be in Colorado as the team, uh, as Colorado clinched the top spot in the Central Division. April 18th at Colorado is game one. That's tomorrow at 7 p.m. Pacific time. April uh, 20th is game two with a 6.30 p.m. start in Colorado. Then the series switches over to Seattle after two games. April 22nd is game three, the first ever Kraken playoff game in franchise history. That's a 7 p.m. start. We'll see you there for that. And April 24th versus the Avalanche at 7 p.m. Pacific time. That's next Monday. So we'll go from recording to CPA, uh, which is game four. If necessary... The remaining three games of that series would be April 26th at the Avalanche. So we go back over to Colorado. If we need game six, it would come back here to Seattle on April 28th versus the Avalanche. And then if they need a game seven, uh, my heart hopes not. April 30th on the road in Colorado. All of those times are still to be announced, but it's more likely to be determined. To be determined if they need those games. So first ever Kraken playoff series. We'll put those back on the board one more time if you need that. First two games in Colorado, the next two on the road. We move over now to our oh well, we'll keep that up. We'll move over now to our old rain who played their first home game of the season. It was their home opener. Uh they said in a Ten, uh, home opener attendance record at 9,219. That is a franchise record uh, for a home opener. And it was during a Mariners game and the Seattle Thunderbirds were playing down in Kent. So they were able to do so with other events. I believe also at the Wamu Theater, uh, Kezo was playing a concert. I don't know who that is, but they were playing a concert. So other events were happening in the city that day and the rain still set an attendance record. So that's nice to see. Uh, we get into it. April 15th versus the Wave, a one to nothing win. We have two players of the match for this one uh, for two nice uh, performances. Our player of the match, number one, goalkeeper Fallon Tullis-Joyce. She only had a 7.9 match rating, so I question foot mob on that. Three saves and 88% passing. One diving save, three saves made inside the box. Uh, she made some really key saves in the second half to keep the rain in this one to make sure that the wave did not get on the scoreboard. We go over it in our recap, so make sure you go to the blogs to go and check that out and to check out the other uh, the photos from that match. Um and our play, our photo of the match involves our second player of the match, uh, midfielder Olivia Vanderyat, a former uh, University of Washington alumni, a Kent, Washington native. Vanderyat, an 8.3 match rating, one goal, three shots, and 83% passing percentage. 
one interception and six recoveries, including the game winner in stoppage time. Our photo of the match here by Liz Walter. You can see the excitement there. The it, It's like a dog pile, but not really. we got some players giving some serious ups here uh, in the celebration of the goal by Vander Yat. Um, that was Olivia's first regular season goal in the NWSL and second goal of her career. The other one came in as a game winner uh, in the Challenge Cup uh, about a few days off from being a year exactly. So really nice to see that. And I'm biased, so it's always nice to see the locals uh, do well there. Uh, so, I mean, this was a match that it was interesting. You know, for the most part, the rain had San Diego hemmed in and, you know, I know that we've talked about it and it's been an issue with the rain that the finishing hasn't always been there. They need to do better in that. Um, but nice to see them get that win. I mean, San Diego, Alex Morgan had some solid chances to score there. Valentin's choice made sure that didn't happen. Uh, the injury report, Angelina and Phoebe McLaren remained out uh, with as Angelina continues to deal with a knee injury and work back from that season ending injury she had last season. And then McLaren remains out with that back injury. Rose Lavelle was questionable with a leg injury, but I imagine uh, with the slate coming up that the rain wanted to make sure that it was just, they kept her out. It was a precautionary thing. Um, yeah, it was interesting because the first half of the rain, I would say they dominated it. Um, they had San Diego hemmed in outside of a few opportunities on counters and they just couldn't they couldn't put one in. Even the shots that they had for a decent amount of time weren't that dangerous. So it wasn't like you were missing out on the finishing aspect. That's why I mentioned that. In the second half, San Diego really started to put some pressure on. Tillichois continued uh, to play a big role there. Megan Rapino came on as a sub, and she, within a minute of her substitution, she had a really challenging shot on net that uh, wave goaltender goalkeeper i've got goaltender and goalkeeper mixed up we go from hockey to soccer and you know um and sheridan even had like a little grin on her face uh you know uh to almost to acknowledge rapino so uh nice to see van der Yat score that one there it was one coming off of a corner it bounced down around a little bit van der Yat at the top of the top of the box was able to hit at home and score that one. So really nice to see that, uh, to see the winner, to get that home opener win, uh, to see the rain win the last two matches after losing the uh, regular season opener in Washington. So uh, good vibes, good vibes around. Excuse me. Um, not so good vibes. Uh, this, this is sort of a developing story in team-related news. Excuse me. We found out over the past week on the 12th, oops, excuse me, on the 12th that... Uh, the OL group, so when I say OL Reign, Olympic Lyon is a French-based club that has ownership of the Reign. They bought it from the previous owners, Bill Predmore. Um, and so we found out that the club is up for sale. Now, there's some interesting things that go into this um, that we found out. Uh, Michelle Kang, who owns the Washington Spirit, will take over uh, the Olympic Lyon women's team. Um, and so what it means. So three of the NWSL's 12 teams are now actively for sale. Uh, the OL group will sell the range just three years after purchasing the, purchasing the franchise and far raising their value. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh it's tough, you know, because the rain have had so much 
change and so much back and forth, you know, moving to Tacoma, coming back here, you know, uh, there's been so much movement for them and it finally felt like they had been settled, you know, they're, they're training in Starfire and they're back at Lubin and now they've got this sale going on and we don't really know what'll happen next. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, I know that the NWSO spokesperson said that we're aware of all groups' interest in exploring the sale of the rain, and we will continue to work closely with them to ensure any potential owners are aligned with our league's vision and values. I imagine that means keeping the team in Seattle. Otherwise, um, so the old group has not reportedly had any statement on the thing. Um, it's very interesting uh, with Michelle King purchasing 52% of the stake in the Leon's women's team. Uh, she's buying out 52% of the team and the remaining 48% would remain with the OL group beginning on June 30th. Um, since that report came out, the club has sent a press release calling the article unverified and questioning both the ratification of an agreement and the terms. Uh, King's ownership would be a big deal because if she owned that, um, oh, OL's group uh, confirmation is uh, selling the rain would remove any concern of that. Okay. Anyway, sorry. There's a lot going on here. Um, ideally, the, the rain wouldn't move anywhere, but this is a developing story. You know, this is kind of a, a surprise story that dropped on the 12th. So we'll keep an eye on it. Um, I know that the club wants to direct focus away from that and continue the regular season on. So we're going to try to do that, but also keep an eye on that story and we'll continue to break that as that news comes out. The equalizer, our friend Bella did a great job working on that. Um, so we're trying to move on with regular season. Uh, the rain set at a two win, one loss, no draws record at fourth in the league table with six points. Their next few matches, they've got two matches. Um, oops. That's last week's match. They've got two matches here in the next week. April 19th on the road at Angel City is a 7 p.m. start. That is the first Challenge Cup match that the team will play uh, this season that is able to watch on CBS Sports. April 22nd versus the Chicago Red Stars is a 12.30 p.m. start back at home. That's a regular season match, and that's on Paramount+. Plus. So two, two matches to play over the next week. In two days, they've got this one on Angel City uh, on the road. Um, yes, on the road at BMO Stadium in California and then back home on April 22nd versus the Chicago Red Stars at home at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time at Lumen Field. Talked about with that win and the Kraken making the playoffs, some good vibes. The Seawolves might have hit a snag. They are 0-2 in the last two weeks. They started off the year 6-0 and and then they've lost the last two. On April 15th at the Utah Warriors, our Seawolves would lose 35-41. to Our player of the game, uh, fly half AJ Alatimu. Alatimu, six points scored off of two conversion goal kicks and six, uh, 200, no, three conversion goal kicks. My apologies. Wrong number. And 235 kicking meters. This one was tough. Uh, Seattle went back and forth with Utah the entire way uh, and just were not able to pull away after that. I mean, I, I talked about this last week, right, that Utah was going to be a tough team to play. It was going to be no easy stretch. Uh, they sat at a 5-2 and two record heading into this one. They're not easy. Um I mean, there's some positive to look at here moving forward with the Seawolves that a lot of their games to close out the regular season are against teams that have struggled so far this year in MLR. Um, 
by the end of the day, you have to play the games, right? I can just sit here and look at the schedule and tell you these teams have not played so well. It doesn't matter, you know, when the whistle starts. They played Toronto next week, who's struggled. Dallas has struggled the entirety of the time that they've been in MLR. Houston has currently overtaken Seattle for the second spot in the Western Conference. That's not going to be an easy match to play. Down in Houston, Chicago, the newest expansion team in MLR, they've struggled as well. Old Glory, they just beat Toronto 80-5 to in any sport that's a ludicrous, well, outside of basketball, um, in any sport that's a ludicrous score. So that one's not going to be easy playing on the road in Leesburg. Uh, play Utah again, play New England again. Well, no, not again. Play New England. They're not an easy team to play. Wait, Old Glory. I think it's New England actually beat. Uh, anyway, one of those two teams. Um, and then you play San Diego to close out the regular season. And that's not going to be an easy game to play either against your rivals. So a good amount of the teams you play going forward should be favorable matchups. I say should be, and I don't want to jinx anything. But you have to play those games still. But I, I'm not necessarily worried about it, especially considering also the team's fight in this game against Utah and the fight also that they showed against San Diego as well. They had a very good chance to win that game against San Diego and it just came up just short. So I'm not too worried about it. We'll get into team-related news here. On the 11th, two Seawolves remain to the MLR top 15 performers of week eight. Loosehead prop, Mazamo Majola, 49 meters run, 17 ruck arrivals, and 19 tackles. I mean, nine tackles made. My apologies. And then fly half Jordan Chite, Chite, 13 points scored, 39 meters run, and 12 tackles made. On the 13th, the team made a trade. The team acquired fly half slash fullback Adrian Carels um, from the Dallas Jackals in exchange for salary cap considerations. Uh, Carels grew up in Sir Laurie's Pass, a small town outside of Somerset West in Cape Town, South Africa. His rugby career started at Hot Nuts. Yes, Hot, hot and Tots. Uh, Holland High School, where he went on to represent on the U18 and U19 Western Province squads. He aided his side to winning the 2014 U19 province, uh, Provincial Championship. Continuing to build his career, he attended the uh, Boland Cavaliers Rugby Academy and was selected to join the senior squad. He competed in the Curry Cup qualification tournament. Uh, he went on to make over 50 appearances with 63 points scored for the Cavaliers. In 2018, he obtained a contract with the Toyota Free State Cheetahs, the multi-Curry Cup champions in the capital city of Free State uh, Bloemfontein. Uh, he has made four appearances with the Cheetahs and six appearances with the Free State 15 side. He made the move to the U.S., joining MLR in 2021 with Rugby Atlanta, who went on to win the MLR Championship final that season and becoming the league runner-ups to the... Uh, oh, yes, the league runner-ups to the LA Giltinis. He was signed to the Dallas Jackals over the past two seasons, and now he is a Seattle Seawolf. On the same day... The team loaned Cole Zarconi, Alexis Glover, and Shane Barry uh, temporarily to the U.S. Rugby National Program. So that's it for our Seawolves here. We move over here. They have a 6-2 and two record on the season to this point in time, 29 standing points. They sit at fourth in the league as a whole, third in the Western Conference. You know, they've taken a little bit of a tumble, but... It's been two weeks. They have a chance to correct things this upcoming week. Oopsie. Uh, when they take on the Toronto Arrows on the road, April 23rd, with a start time of 1 p.m. Pacific. We move over here to our Sea Dragons. And I know last week, playoffs were in peril. It was this big deal. Eh. 
They returned to their winning ways on the road in a not easy building to do so. April 16th at the St. Louis Battlehawks, the Sea Dragons would win that one 30-12. Our play of the game wide receiver, Jacor Pearson. Pearson, seven receptions, 115 receiving yards, and one touchdown on the game, including a 68-yard touchdown in the third quarter to really help the Sea Dragons start to pull away. Now, this one was a big game for the Sea Dragons to win. They needed to win this one to keep their playoff hopes alive. St. Louis had beat them in week two in a close game on a last-minute field goal. Um, And they're also battling St. Louis for this playoff spot as well. Seattle sits at third in the XFL North Division. St. Louis sits at second. So this one mattered uh, in a whole lot of ways. And St. Louis is widely regarded as one of the best uh, home home field advantages to play against as well. Uh, I know that after the game, uh, Seattle quarterback Ben DiNucci was posing in the locker room with a DiNucci and Gucci sign. So rubbing in a little bit with, and you know, you appreciate a little bit of confidence. Um, but not really big to win this one. So we'll get into it here. I talked about the playoffs and last week there were scenarios. Our friend Nick, who is our uh, our stat guy in a lot of ways. He he broke down the playoff clinching scenario. Seattle would be eliminated with a loss next week and will clinch with a win in a St. Louis loss. So we need to win this one next week and St. Louis needs to lose next week. Um, I'll get up here who they'll be playing really quickly. Um, XFL website's very interesting. Um, but... If both win, it will come down to a combined division rankings and points for and points against. So you want your wins to look good um, when it comes down to things. The D.C. defenders who Seattle lost to last week by a point took the uh, XFL North division and they'll host uh, the North championship. So we go over here to the schedule. Let's see who St. Louis is playing. Ooh, they play Orlando, and Orlando has not been very good. Uh, but Orlando, oh, and Orlando lost to San Antonio. Oh boy. Uh, oof. Okay. So yeah. So that game is at. So I guess Seattle would find out if they are going to the playoffs or not, uh, because uh, St. Louis plays first in the day at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Um, and then Seattle plays at 4 p.m. Pacific time later in the day. So, yes. Recapping, Seattle will be eliminated from postseason contention if they lose this week and will clinch with a win and a St. Louis loss. Again, if both win, it'll come down to a combined division rankings in points for and points against. Uh, there are tiebreakers, though, for this. And Nick, the stat man that he is, was able to break that down for us. So we'll get that here for you. Um, we'll go into tiebreakers. Uh, St. Louis would need to allow seven plus points less than Seattle allows. And St. Louis would need to score 20 or more points than Seattle scores. Seattle clinches. If St. Louis fails to do both, if they only do one, it would move to the fifth tiebreaker, that fifth tiebreaker. Um, there would be a lot more math that would be involved and would come down to points scored and allowed in each game in week 10. Um, after the St. Louis game on Saturday versus Orlando, if St. Louis wins, it, I, um, oh, he'll make more updates on the tiebreakers. So thanks, Nick, for that. So we'll focus on the task at hand. Seattle sits at a 6-3 and three record, third in the XFL North. Their next game is at home April 23rd, 23rd uh, versus the Las Vegas Vipers. That is a 4 p.m. Pacific time start, as I mentioned. Uh, it'll be streamed on ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. Barring whatever I have on my schedule, I will likely be there for that to see 
uh, if our Sea Dragons are able to take care of business. So that'll be, again, ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. April 23rd uh, versus the Las Vegas Vipers. That's a big deal to help Seattle with their postseason. If you need to figure out again what they need to do, please go back and watch that. Um, we head over to our Seattle Star of the Week. We do have one for you this week. Uh, I went with Jared Kelnick for his past week just to see him again continue to play well in the field. His bat's doing well. Uh, and just seems to be having fun with things. It's great to see Jared continue to succeed, uh, and his success to this team will mean a lot going forward if they want to, one, take the division, and two, go any further than the ALDS round that they made last year in the playoffs, let alone clinching a playoff berth. So it's very nice to see Jared, again, continue to do well. You know, those last six games, the four homers uh, to start those six games, uh, the extra base hits, the nice play that was on Sports Center today uh, in right field. Again, really nice to see all that for Jared and hoping that he's able to continue to perform that way. So let's see it. The Seahawks continue to pair, prepare for the NHL NFL draft. The Mariners continue on with their regular season through this nine-game homestand. The Storm have made their draft selections uh, and are going to continue to prepare for the preseason. The Sounders are looking to bounce back from that loss to Portland. The Kraken are in the NHL playoffs, and that begins tomorrow. Uh, we'll flip that here. We'll flip that for you there. The Oil Reign are going to try and build off their last two wins as they continue their regular season with two matches to play over the next week. The Seawolves are looking to get back on track after losing their past two games. The Sea Dragons can clinch a playoff berth this week with some things involved. Um, and then there's more to go off of. I know that, but that's why we're here. That's what we do as Seattle Sports. It's great to be back in studio. I want to thank Cuddy behind the camera and behind the production for being here with us. It's great to be back. It's great to be back in the studio. So until we see you next week on the 24th, hoping that all of our teams have some great success. Uh, take care of yourselves. Be well. Hopefully the weather holds up for you. Um, and we'll see you next week. Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.